Hello there, my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Back in the 1970s, when I was starting to get really serious about travelling to wherever the boat fishing was worth travelling to, one of my favourite haunts was Hartlepool. At that stage, Whitby hadn't quite burst onto the scene in the way that it ultimately would just a few years later, so I was quite content to stick with a venue I both knew and could rely upon to produce a variety of fish and fishing, and always aboard the same boat, famous skippered by Tom Williams. Back then, Famous was a 48-foot ex-trawler with a small rear wheelhouse and plenty of dry, warm space down below. Now, on my first trip back to Hartlepool for many years in August 2013, I find that things have changed beyond all recognition. The town itself and the harbour area have both had a huge and much-needed facelift, and so too, in a way, has Famous, which is no longer a converted trawler, but a big, roomy, blithe cat skippered by Dave Lumley and purpose-built with angling in mind. You can probably hear from the background noise of the waves and the anglers out on deck that I'm sat in the wheelhouse taking a short break from the fishing and having this chat with Dave, discussing all things related to the boat, the fishing and this corner of the North Sea in general. I'm intrigued by this name, Famous, and the links between the present and the past. So what is the connection then between the two boats and the port? The first boat obviously was the trawler brought from Abroath by Tommy Williams. I suppose that's where the name come. I'm not sure in what year he brought it, but probably before I was born. And then he fished with a keel boat, it was a prawn boat, famous for many years, and then started taking charter angling out. And the Williams is uh, quite a big family in Hartlepool connection with the sea and boats. And then as the charter boat sort of everybody wanted to sort of like downsize the boats they bought a uh, Cygnus 32 which actually they called Famous 2 and Tommy was meant to skip of that but being used to big keel boats he didn't like plastic boats so they bought him another wooden boat and they called that the Pamela E and then Famous 2 actually lost the 2 off the name of the Famous and just became Famous and eventually I purchased Famous, which was the Cygnus 32 off Cedric, who owned it, like Tommy's son. And uh, that was my first boat we used for prawn trawling in the winter and chartering for anglers in the summer. And then as time progressed, I think I had that for about 10 years. Sold that and then bought Freewood 35, which was part finished. And obviously, as the name was established in Hartlepool, we charter angling, kept the name famous. So I've run the Freewood 35 for a year, which was the stepping stone to the boat I've got now, which was a Blythe Cat, which really is the sort of, I think any cat morang is the ultimate sort of tool for charter angling these days. So again, just kept the name and passed the name from boat to boat. There's obviously one boat left the port under another name for its new owner. We just kept the famous name in Hartlepool. The strange thing is, when we sold the Cygnus 32 famous, it actually went back to our broth where the original boat came from. And now it's called Optic. Because the man who bought it owns a pub. <laughs> so that's the history behind the name sorted out. But what about your own personal history and how you came to be behind the wheel here today? 
Well, I suppose I was brought into fishing from an early age uh, with my dad going out on his old small boats and just as time went by your boats get bigger and you develop yourself and then my dad sort of bought a bigger boat for to go and charter angling and then when I left college, like 16, 17 year old, there was no job so we turned one boat into a commercial boat because you didn't need a licence then, you just bought your nets or pots and away you went. So we went potting and netting in the winter and charter angling in the summer with it. And as, as I sort of developed and got older, like your toys get bigger, don't they? <laughs> so eventually we sort of progressed from small little boats with like Stuart Turner engines to modern gill netting boats. But as, as time went by you, you get older as well and the time came where we were either going to stay in the commercial sector, like gill netting or trawling, or diversify into charter angling. And to be good at any one sort of job, you just have to do one job. You'll never be good at doing three jobs. You know, so you to, I just picked one set me stall out and went for a charter angler. Any particular reason why the charter angler went out? Yeah, the hours of the day are a little bit shorter. Because when you're trawling, I mean, I was working from maybe five in the morning till ten at night. Weather permitting, you'd go out every day you could. Charter angling, it's primarily, it's all weekend work and there you're bread and butter, but midweeks, they're a bonus. So it is a bit lighter work, but the hours are still long. So why this particular design of boat? We had mono boats for charter angling and commercial fishing, and you, to just anyone who's been on a boat will know if you're any weather, you just roll from side to side all day. And actually, I went on a bit of a bushman's holiday to Weymouth, <laughs> and went on my first sort of charter boat down there as a catamaran, and. The weather we were out in, the, the, just the way the boat performed was outstanding. So that's just what made me mind up that if you wanted a big stable platform and obviously you'll get more days at sea and your anglers will be more comfortable and a lot safer, the only option really to me is a catamaran. I know they're, they're more expensive to build, you've got two engines, a bit more running cost but all that outweighs the performance of the boat, in my opinion anyway. And let's not forget the fantastic fishing space. Well, that's it, yeah. Obviously the design of the boat will vary from owner to owner if he wants more space or a bigger whale house, but for this boat now, the famous, we just opted for a, a small whale house because it's just a day boat to try and provide the biggest deck space we could for the anglers. Back in the 1970s, Tom Williams always had his fish bait over ground on the drift and would usually find us a mix of cod, whiting and haddock, with species like spur dogs and rays putting in an occasional show. I also had my first catfish here, a very different fishing approach to the Hartley Pool of today. So what has changed here and why? Well, basically what's available is pretty, I would say, pretty much the same. I mean, we still catch sort of cod in the summer, May, June, into July. Once you get into August, September, you start catching more ling than cod, but you get a lot of whiting now. The last two trips out we've had place, we've had catfish, you get the odd anglerfish. Haddock aren't predominant, 
like you say, like in the 70s, I was only three then, but <laughs> I can remember we used to go out maybe from the age of seven, sort of. You used to catch a lot of haddock, but now they seem to have dwindled. But there is, I would say in the last three or four years, the fishing has just remained steady. Two years ago, we had an absolute bumper year for cod, but it just comes in cycles. And I think now, doing the charter angling, you can see the reasons why you need to conserve the stocks and preserve them for the future anglers. It's no good just raping the sea and taking all you can, getting cash today and leaving nothing for tomorrow. That's a very narrow-minded view, which I think was the view in the 70s. Catch as much as you can while you can. But I think a lot of people now are changing, like a lot of clubs now, the competitions are catch and release. But one club or ten clubs through the country doing that's not going to make a vast improvement on the stocks. It needs to be a national sort of programme, stopping the foreign boats coming in, taking what's, well, they're not English fish because the fish move about, but the stocks that are here, you need to preserve them. And the English boats need to understand that as well. So I know I still got friends in the commercial sector, and there is, there's, there's just too much fish sold on the black market. They've got the rules and regulations, but unfortunately the government hasn't got the staff or the knowledge to police it, in my opinion, that. How should they police it then? Well, personally, I think you should just, not on quarters, I think once it's caught in a net, if the fish is damaged and dead, you should be able to sell what you've caught and to me it should go on a, a price value. If you earned a hundred thousand one year, the next year you should maybe get a percentage increase and present your books and once you've earned that hundred thousand the next year, you tie your boat up. Because that's what you've told the government you lived on last year, so live on it this year. Makes sense. I've not heard that line of argument before and I have to say I like it. And that's what they should do once they've reached. What they should do, put the books in, or the tallies, and then people who are fiddling, who've got ten grand, not paying any tax, driving around in big cars, flash houses, you've got your ten thousand pound, there you are, padlock the board up. Can't go to sea. If you've played the game and you've got a hundred thousand, keep going. Stop the fiddling. For the regular angling species here, we're mainly looking at cod and ling. But what about some of the more unusual one-offs you can also pick up? I've been out here aboard the fly shooters in years gone by and saw loads of cats, fork beards, halibut and hake, and all taken over what you class as regular angling grounds. But probably unusual now probably is a, a haddock's unusual, a, a catfish or wolffish. You get the odd anglerfish, uh, the odd pogo cod. Uh, unusual. Probably again, it's becoming more common to be caught. When we're commercial fishing, even around the area we're in now, you get megrams placed, Dover soles, lemon soles, dabs, flounders, you get turbot, brill, you get thorny back rays, uh, common skate, you'll catch cod, white, and ling. So there's a lot of species there. But they're just—they're uh, not fished for by the angler, or for some reason, we don't catch them on rod and line drift fishing. And I think it's just because maybe it's a big pond, 
and there's so few of them to target, it would be a, a slow, miserable day for the angler just to catch one, you know. But I think that's the reason why we don't particularly target a certain species. Would I be right in saying that when Hartlepool of the North Sea ports either side of it, as far south as Whitby and beyond, slipped into decline in the 1990s in terms of fish availability, it suddenly became a case of having to try new things simply to survive. And it was this need that brought about all sorts of exploration and innovation in terms of new areas and tactics that have changed the fishing gear from what it was back then to the way we find it today. Well, shads have sort of took off in this area for cod fishing in the summer. I think they were used first in fresh water for pike. But uh, definitely no. But you can still use your, your Muppeton jiggers now and they still work as good as they did 20 years ago. Uh, if you're bait fishing for ling, as probably do when now with slack water, you'll, you'll pick the ling up on the bait. But when the cod are there and feeding, you, the, the shad will tend to pick the cod out. But yeah, it's, techniques change and colours and variations change, but I think the hooks catch the fish and the colours catch the anglers. <laughs> what about other techniques that people felt a need to try, such as uptide and closer to the shore in the winter? Yeah, well, especially when I was little, we used to do a lot of, well, not so much uptiding, but we used to put the anchor down and just let the the weight drift off the back of the boat, like down tiding if you want to call it that, and we used to catch a lot of fish, but um, the anglers now need to be pretty much hard caught to want to come in the winter up tiding because you need, really it's the bait that's catching the fish so you need to spend a lot of money have quality bait like paler crabs and fresh lug or runny down to get the scent to catch the fish. If you just come like yeah in the summer with lowers you're not going to catch anything because the water's dark and coloured so you're relying on scent so it's more of a, a hardcore following who want to do the uptiding in winter. So what in your opinion happened to end that spell of lean times? And why so suddenly? Because it seemed pretty sudden to me as an outsider with not only large numbers of fish back into the frame but also good sized fish too. Things like that simply don't happen overnight. So those fish must have been somewhere before ports like Hartlepool started seeing them again. Well, I think the real slump is uh, when the mine shut. Because we used to have a lot of miners come even when I was little. I can remember all the, the miners coming even from Easington, Blackwall, Harden, in the middle of the country, like Blackburns and Burnley, the open cast mines. All the miners loved the fishing. And once, once they dried up and the money dried up with them, once they lost the jobs, it did go into decline like but one of the reasons I came into charter fishing is from my point of view you need to provide the best quality you can because people if they're going to spend the money now they'll look at the best they can for the money that they're going to spend and if you need to provide that at a reasonable cost and people will always have money for the leisure time whether it's fishing, golf or football, whatever they're interested is, they'll, they'll save up and spend it, spend their money on the interest. Yeah, but it wasn't only a slump in trade. There was also a very noticeable decline in fish stocks too. They also vanished from the scene. Well, I'm not sure on that one really, but all I can remember is from being, when I was little, my dad used to take us out. We used to fill the boat with fish. We used to get a, a silver cross pram put a bit of lead in it and use it as a jigger with a treble hook on we were over the moon. You could, you could fill a box up yourself. 
because I think a lot of people in the early days, maybe when I was a teenager, would look at funding their fishing trip, maybe selling the fillets in the club to their friends and family. But now I think it's you've got to be happy if you catch one fish, it's a bonus. If you get ten fish, you've had a good day. Like, and if you get a box of fish, you've had an extraordinary day. In these ages. When someone calls you wanting a good trip out of Border Famous, what do you tell them in terms of seasonality, timing, tide size, techniques, lures, colours and the like? Well, at any time really, I mean, last was it last year we fished really well in February and March and then this year it took till June. But really you want to be looking at sort of Easter time, April, April, May and definitely sort of May, June, July for your cod, August, September for cod and ling and we fished right through, as long as the mackerel stay and the weather stays fine, we fished right through until uh, November before fishing for cod and ling, drift fishing, but as soon as you sort of get into October and you get your northerly winds again, you might get away with two days of northerly before it colours the water you still fish but once you've had a week or more of northerlies the fish will just disperse but then and all you've got sort of April time where the fish are spawning and I don't think they particularly feed when they're spawning they've got other things on their mind so they'll go off the bait and you've got to wait till they finish spawning before you actually start catching them on the rod and then once the water starts clearing up as well so it's normally the, the summer months is best for the rod fishing so how then would you rate Hartlepool these days against its nearest rivals, both to the north and to the south? Well, the nearest opposition we've got, I suppose, is the time, and uh, the next one south is uh, Whitby. Now, Whitby has a big, must be three times the size of the charter fleet of Hartlepool. I think Hartlepool's got ten boats, maybe the time's got six, and there's got to be twenty plus or thirty maybe in Whitby. But they've, they've got... A, a lot of good promotion going on. I, I personally don't think the fishing is any better at Whitby than Hartlepool, but they do sort of get together and have better competitions and offer big cash incentives to the angler to enter the competition, which in any industry, if there's a monetary award for catching the biggest fish, people will turn up and have a go for it. Now, they must have some good sponsors, and where they get the sponsors from good luck to them, they're doing it right. They're attracting the people there. And it's a big tourist place, with be not only just for the fishing, so you've got a lot of people turn up and they do a three-hour trip rather than ten-hour trips. But yeah, I think it's um, they're promoting themselves really well with the, uh, with, the, with the fishing competitions. They have, I think they have three a year. They have an uptide one in the winter, and they have a spring festival and a summer festival, so... And I, I'm not sure, but it'll be interesting if you've seen some facts for how many anglers they actually brought into the town. Because I mean, Antipole's probably got ten boats, so on a weekend, if you took an average of ten anglers on at each boat, there's a hundred people that just one very small sort of industries bring into Antipole every weekend. And I think it's a, it's a shame it's a bit under sort of recognised by the council to get behind and push it on a little bit. Because it's not just the boats they're coming to, it's the petrol stations they stop at by the petrol. Ah, but Whitby also had a reputation for big fish too, which along with the other sizes disappeared from the radar, 
which in a way was something of a great leveller for the rest of the ports. The biggest fish we've had this year is 17 pound cod, 21 and a half pound ling. But normally every year, fish over 30 pound will get caught between here and Whitby. And normally, if the time gets one, Hartlepool gets one, I know that. And they're normally days apart. But there is normally a 30 to 40 pound cod caught here, or ling caught on this coast somewhere. But they're not predominant. I think they are there, I think sometimes you just don't get into something on the bottom and you know it's not the bottom but it just snaps it off anyway so but I think they are there but maybe the, we're not maybe geared up for the bigger fish but there again we don't expect them these days but why, why they've declined or why we don't get the size of them I don't know even maybe ten years ago we used to we'd get a double figured fish every day like some double figured cod and ling, and now a 15 to 17 pound cod's a good cod. You're lucky to get one. A bit novelty, if you like, a novelty value, but. And they are. We're still getting plenty, but you're right, the, the sizes have sort of gone down from like 8s to 12s now, the maybe 4 to 8s, you know. Definitely smaller. But the, every year we get a good sample of small cod and we catch them that get returned. So you, you are seeing the smaller fish there, which gives you hope that they're, you know, they're going to grow into the bigger ones, which we want and we want to see. Most of the bigger fish back then traditionally came from the wrecks, whereas you seem to be fishing more open ground these days, as we did aboard the original famous. Well, yeah, especially, I mean, sometimes we fish the rough ground, especially if we get a, a mixed group on where you might have... You might have a couple of lads who are newbies and iron rods out and they don't have much idea on how to go on. And then you might get some who've only done it once or twice. And then you might get maybe just three blokes who are hardcore who do it all the time. So it's a bit unfair to take people like novices and just get them to lose gear after gear and sinker after sinker for sort of no great return. But I would say on a whole, out of my experience, we would get more fish fishing hard ground than we would a wreck. If you're fishing the hard ground you can drift like quarter of a mile, half a mile and not lose the amount of equipment that you would over a wreck. Because you know yourself if you don't get a fish on a wreck you normally get stuck like. <laughs> but there does tend to be more productive on the ground especially of late anyway. I think we fished a few wrecks the other day for one fish, two fish. So it's I mean, people always say you get the bigger fish on the wreck where you might get the odd clonker riding in there and manage to pull them out. But I would say on a whole, it's a nicer day's fishing as well, I think. On the ground, you're not up and down as much. Because you're only on the wreck, you're just fishing a, maybe it's a 50 yard drift or something. So, yeah. You still have your days, I suppose, but just a lot of luck as well, isn't there, involved in it? no matter what you do. But you're talking about a few big fish spread about here, there and everywhere now. Yeah, as I said earlier, when the comeback happened several years ago, suddenly some good fish were also back on the scene. A fact that nobody, it seems, has managed a reasonable explanation for yet. Well, again, there's been a lot of emphasis on getting rid of uh, fishing boats. There's been um, decommissioning of the fishing fleet. There's a lot of them gone. But you decommissioning the older ones, but the boats that are left, 
uh, more productive, they've got bigger engines, they're more powerful, they throw bigger nets. So I think overall there is a reduction in the size of the fleet and whether they are more productive, they, they can't cover the same area, can they? As well, if there's only two boats, can't cover the same areas what ten boats were. So it is going to improve, and every time a license is bought and sold, it gets reduced by a certain percentage, I believe. So yeah, I think there's they are conserving the stocks that way, and with still having friends in the commercial industry and the trawling industry, they say that further north from Hartlepool, like Arbroath and Peterhead. They can't get the nets out of the water quick enough for cod. They reckon we can walk across the sea, it's that thick. And it's the best they've seen for years. But they're trawling on the soft ground. So the fish are there, but they've got to be on the soft ground to get to the hard ground. And it's, I think, and all the, the quarters, you, you see it on the telly, they'll, they'll haul up. The fishermen will only be there if they're making money. You know what I mean? So, but there's all the, the they'll catch a load of the holes might be full of small codlins and they can tell the size of the fish now by the equipment they've got they'll just dump the small fish and go catch the big fish they should be forced to land what they've caught What do you think the future holds for Hartlepool? And the future is still bright there's, but there's one thing I would say you don't see many young people coming along fishing it's sort of uh, late 40s up to maybe I think the oldest gentleman we've got, maybe he's in his late 80s, comes fishing. But you, you certainly don't see any like, young teenagers coming with their dads or a group of 18-year-old lads coming. I think they more want to go to Amsterdam for whatever reason and come sit on a fishing boat. But yeah, it's just the odd young'un, so I think once maybe in the next 10 years when your 40 year old men turn into the 50s and your 50s into the 60s we might see a, a bit of a decline but on the other hand we've got the a lot of Polish sort of workers in the country now and they're very big into fishing so they've, I think they've boost any fishing economy I think or any charter economy out of the Polish people we take they're absolutely mad king and they come from as far as London to come fish at Arlypool so what, if anything, do you think the anglers themselves could or might have to do in the future to try to improve the catch rates? Well, how can an angler improve his catch rates? Let's say anything, and it's knowing the area where you fish and listening to, to the skipper and either watching how he fishes, because he's not going to just put hot eyes on if shads are fishing or vice versa and he, he's going to use the method he finds suitable for his area and the grounds he's fishing and it is strange that you could come to Hartlepool and use jiggers and catch fish and go down south and you have to use jelly worms for instance people would say well a cod's a cod and they want food they need to eat but it is strange it's just adapting your technique and your equipment to the area you're in I would say and listening to the, the skipper or his crew who would give you the advice and tell you what to use. Are there going to be any new strands maybe worth following up on in the future? I'm thinking here of the bloke down at Whitby who recently started trying for poor beagle sharks. Also there's the halibut which we know are definitely in this area. Or is it looking like just being more of the same? Well actually uh, there, there is a boat at Whitby who uh, catches poor beagles and 
about three weeks ago we tried so we went down to the same areas where we fishes and set our stall up to catch a poor beagle with the rods and balloons and chum and all the equipment that we thought we would need. One of the lads actually helps a skipper down Cornwall shark fishing and uh, we went out, we were 42 miles off from Hartlepool, anchored up, we tried probably fishing 10 hours for a shark, putting chum out. Fortunately we, we had one run but then 10 minutes later a seal popped up so we think the bait was taken by a seal not a shark. But we did get a few uh, haddock and cod while sat at anchor fishing. But to try and promote it commercially to anglers, you couldn't take 10 anglers to catch a shark. You'd, maybe it would, would be maybe it's for four anglers to sit there. And I don't know how many you would catch in a day. And then for the amount of chum you would need. I think we're going to give it another go. But I think we're going to have to refine our chumming methods and I think perhaps it would be an overnight expedition I think coming in dark, coming in light might be the better time to catch them but yeah it's worth experimentation and if there's enough anglers want to come and pay it's worth doing but the amount of sharks that come in a year to what you're going to catch I think it's if you get one you're doing really well aren't you and how do you divide one fish and one rod between four anglers that's yeah, they have to pull straws or pull the names out there to was the first four. But yeah, I can see it's I can definitely see it becoming more common. Maybe it's over the next few years because we're definitely getting different species arriving all the time. And if if the sharks come, but definitely need to uh, research them. I think that from the research we've done, I think they come to the same areas every year. Now the same sort of migratory path. It's, it's just tweaking what you've got, like, for the different species. And the halibut? Well, halibut, yeah. Well, this year, especially Whitby, I think it was on the internet and the, probably the press that there was a £71 halibut called a Whitby, which is an impressive fish by anybody's standards. Biggest halibut we've had was £8, so, and that was only eight miles from Hartlepool. But again, when we were trawling, we, we used to pick them up in the trawl nets especially sort of up September to November time. So, yeah, proves the fish are there. I think, you, I think you just need to be prepared to set your stall out and go in an area where you think you're going to get them and be prepared to spend that one day where they get one and none and see what you actually get. It's just experimenting with the, with the method first. But I don't think you could advertise halibut fishing trips unfortunately I think there'll be a long day with maybe no results you know I think they are probably caught by more luck than sort of experience if you like but yeah it just shows the fish are there I agree with you because I've seen them caught commercially within a dozen so miles of the shore on a number of occasions so yeah you've given us quite a bit to chew over and think about there I most definitely take your point regarding offshore boat fishing having the potential to go under as fewer and fewer young people come along to replace the older ones as they drop off the radar. That point actually has been made to me by other people before. Too many kids these days live virtual lives in cyber worlds with little or no concept of activities outside the confines of the bedrooms which really is quite sad. Anyway, 
what I'm going to do now is switch the recorder off and come back to it in a few hours when it's time to pack up and do the final summing up. Okay, so now it's report time as we're about to make our final run back to port. Overall today, ling have been the dominant species, which is hardly surprising considering that it's August. Some really good ones in there too on the mackerel baited perks and jumbo hockeyes, plus a few nice fat cods and maybe £8 on both the hockeyes and the shads. Dave even had a decent link on a shad, on top of which we've had the odd pollock, one long haddock and numerous whites in one of which weighed in as a staggering three and a half pounds. Now I don't normally sum up trips on which I'm recording in this way. My reason for doing so this time is that having made the link across 40 years of time with the boat named Fairness, I wanted to do a similar thing with the fishing, which while it clearly is different today, still remains very very good. Back then in the 1970s, we only ever fished with bait. Now it's shads, perks and hockeyes with bait if you're after the ling. Speaking of which, we didn't see as many ling back then. In those days it was more of a mix of cod, whiting, pouting and haddock, with a few spur dogs, the odd ray and an occasional catfish or wolffish mixed in for good measure. Now it's mainly cod, ling and whiting, with boneless fish coming in the shape of an odd haddock, catfish and if you're lucky, the occasional small halibut. My thanks then to Dave Lumley for bridging the gap between the 1970s and the present and also for providing us with a really good day's mixed fishing out over the hard ground.